Bravo Fox Pop, leveling On this week's episode of Skies and Beyond Radio, we look back at my most recent aerial photo flight, what it takes to make aviation photography a full-time gig, and of course, your questions and answers. Hey everyone, Luke over at Skies and Beyond Radio, and welcome to yet another weekly podcast brought to you by myself. We're going to kick it off real quick this week, and we're going to talk about my most recent aerial photo shoot that I did just yesterday, actually. It was a holiday weekend. Um, I actually was planning this for quite some time. A couple weeks out, maybe, I was looking at the weather, checking things through and through. You know, the weather really just, it looked okay. It was one of those weeks where it was like, one day it's completely sunny, and the next day we're looking at possible clouds, 35 to 60% cloud coverage. And I was kind of like, you know, tooling around with the idea of possibly canceling the trip. I mentioned it to someone before that, yeah, I might cancel the whole thing. But you know what? I went with it. I had a buddy of mine that was coming up from New York driving four hours. So I was like, I don't want to cancel a trip, especially after, you know, hyping it up pretty much the whole time. <laughs> um, so, you know, we met that, met up down in Norwood, Massachusetts, and uh, we were getting ready to go up. And it was me and two of my friends. And the plan was Boston again. And the whole idea was a fall foliage flight. That's the whole concept of this shoot that I wanted to do. I'm, I'm, a lot of people may not know, but I'm currently working on a book um, that encapsulates aerial photography just in Boston alone, and I was trying to get through all the seasons. Unfortunately, I don't know if that's actually going to work out. I might, I'm might still going to do the book, but I don't know if it's actually going to be a full four-season kind of aerial photography book. But we'll, that's for another time. So we met up down in Norwood. It was three o'clock roughly and I was looking at the clouds and I go you know what it was overcast all day today but you know it's clearing up a little bit and I said this is a you know good option um, for to go up right now and get as many shots as we can well, the thing about it is is when the weather starts changing and the seasons start changing so does the time you start losing a lot more daylight and you're very limited now to what comes in and what departs and how much you're gonna get off the top so we looked at it I talked it over to the pilot he's a phenomenal pilot that I always use I think I've always used the same one and we were about to go up and it was about 3 30 we were supposed to be like wheels up or skis up I guess at uh, 3 30 and he uh, started talking about the weather aspect and my other buddy had mentioned the weather too and there was this big storm cell just west of Worcester and it was moving east and it was moving pretty quick and the idea was you know maybe it'll dissipate over time you know maybe it gets closer to boston we'll have less rain and so on and so forth so the idea was you know we'll postpone it for an hour sometimes it's good to postpone things just to kind of see how the weather plays out no one wants to be up in a helicopter with the doors off with thousands of dollars of camera gear and then have the possibility of being soaking wet so we postponed it for about an hour. We sat up on the 
It's a nice little hill top over there at Norwood Airport watching some of the general aviation aircraft come in. There was a lot of people out because of the holiday weekend. And we waited and waited and we kept checking the radar. I think I refreshed my radar page multiple times. And it wasn't until about 20 minutes in that I realized we're probably not going to get to go over Boston. The weather that we thought was going to dissipate, even though it was moving quick, um, was actually progressively getting stronger and larger all at the same time. And this was a storm. This is a, a storm cell that was stretching from the southern tip of Massachusetts all the way up to the northern tip. And it was like the full entire state was just covered. And of course, right after that, it was clear skies. So go figure by the time the storm actually did pass, it was already nightfall and it wouldn't have been worth the trip. So we talked it over and I remember thinking, like I said, I had a buddy that came up, drove four hours for a photo flight, you know, and I didn't want to disappoint. And I thought we have to figure something else out. And it was actually my other friend that mentioned, hey, let's, let's go somewhere else. Let's go fly somewhere else. I was like, what the heck is close by? And then, you know, Providence came to mind and I was like, oh yeah, so that's right. It's only about like a 30, it's like 35 miles from here. So it's probably going to be like a 20 minute flight down. So yeah, so as he ran inside and, you know, talked to the pilot and said, hey, you know, can we, you know, possibly go to Providence instead? Have you ever been down there? And um, I stayed outside. I was taking some photos of some general aviation aircraft and, they came, you know, come. They came back to us, and the, and I, the pilot was talking to me, and I said, "Well, have you ever, you know, you know, is this going to be okay to do, you know, so on and so forth?" And he was just like, "Yeah, it should be fine. Let's go for it." And I go, "Well, have you ever been down to Providence?" And he's like, "Nope, not even once." And I was like, "Okay, wonder what the tower is going to think about all this." And I was like, "Oh boy, here we go." So, hey, you know, I wanted to make it worthwhile for the other guys too. So we, you know, drove around to the other gate hopped into the uh, heli and uh took off and it was like watching the weather i was like oh man look at the weather but just north or excuse me just south of us in providence it was clear skies the flight down was super smooth uh you know the pilot's a great pilot and you know super smooth on the way down and we got there and it was clear skies we're talking golden hour lighting and it was just really really nice to see the foliage a little bit less down in Rhode Island, um, but it, overall, it was still really nice. And we got some arrivals, some departures. It was my first time ever shooting over Providence. It was actually my first time ever shooting in Providence, which I thought was pretty interesting. I put it on my list of places to go this year. It was like one of those goal lists. You know, Chicago was on one of them, you know, Midway, uh, Milwaukee, Oshkosh, you know, I got to all those. But... Uh, Providence was on there too, and I just I just so happened to make it down there, and it just happened to be in a helicopter. So we were getting some great shots, and actually, one of the shots I didn't realize it till after I got back that it was a hot photo on Jet Photos. It was an air-to-air shot with a Gulfstream G650. I think it's an ER, um, and it was a really really awesome shot against the background of the foliage, and there was a couple other shots too. I couldn't figure out which one I was gonna put up, but I think the foliage was the one that was the eye catcher, and I was like, oh, it looks, seems like it's going to be just about right. So, you know, I got some shots. Uh, we saw the Patriots uh, 767 sitting there. It was on the ramp. Um, we got a couple other good shots of the terminal. The lighting was really great. You know, United, American, 
the Embraers were there. Uh, we didn't see, oh, there was CRJ that took off. Very, you know, it's a quiet airport. Um, the cargo ramp was nice and loaded, so we were able to get some cargo shots. But overall, it was a really good flight. It was about 20 minutes on the way down, and honestly, probably about 10 minutes on the way back. Uh, I mean, we had a pretty good tailwind, so we were pushing really hard to get back. And uh, the drastic change in weather from Providence to Massachusetts was very, very distinctive. Going over the uh, going over the state line there, we could definitely see it, and it was even more so impressive to barely make out the skyline of Boston. I thought that was pretty wild. You can see like the pockets of rain just dumping on some parts of the state. So it was, it was a good flight overall. Um, like I said, it was my first time down there. I wouldn't go down there for unless it was something special. Uh, to do a photo flight over there again. I mean, they were really great. The Providence, uh, the tower there, they helped us out a lot. They were a little confused by why we were down there, but overall they were very accommodating and super nice, so we, we appreciate that, especially doing these aerial photo shoots. But there's just some, you know, I got some foliage shots, so I might add it to my book. Maybe we'll do like a New England version, but I was aiming it towards being like a Boston photo shoot more so than... Uh, New England, but we'll see what happens. But like I said, it was great flight overall. Um, I may have one. I definitely am planning another photo flight in mid to late January. I should have a friend of mine coming down from Canada who wants to do a photo flight, and he's a phenomenal photographer. And he, you know, we talked about this for a while, and I definitely took him up on the offer, and I said, like, you know, let's do this. You fly down to Boston. I'll make all the arrangements. We'll talk to Traycon and so on and so forth, and we'll go from there. But um, so if, until then, though, I really don't have any more photo flights uh, going on. I'm just too busy with work. The holidays, you know, are coming up very, very soon. So kind of focusing my attention to other projects that I'm working on as well. But anyways, we're going to jump to the next topic, and uh, the whole idea of this podcast, I guess you can say this week's podcast, is I've got a lot of questions about how do I make this like a full-time job. And the best answer for that is it's extremely difficult. I don't like discouraging people, and I try not to, and I'm, I'm not the one person to say you can't do something because I feel that everyone can set their goals and aim for them and obtain them in any way they can. Aerial, excuse me, aviation photography as a whole has become really popular, especially after COVID or during COVID as well, where a lot, a lot of people were trying to get out and do some stuff. So it, it kind of sprung up really, really fast. I mean, it's always been popular, but I've just noticed the increase um, since then. And I think doing it as a full-time profession is really, really, really tough. Uh, it comes down to knowing people, being in the right place at the right time, and then kind of just dedicating your entire life to it. And of course, you know, anything that you do, you dedicate your entire life to and you do really well at, you know, you can consider that a full-time job. But there's more particulars that you have to look at. There's... Um, I've met a lot of people. I think it was a couple of years ago. I met a plane spotter in Massachusetts where I had, we were talking, and I said, "Well, you know, what is your goal overall?" And he said, "Well, I'm gonna take photos for airlines. That's what I'm gonna do." And I, I think at the time I thought about it. I go, "Yeah, that'd be cool." But how many people actually get paid 
to take photos of, you know, for airlines? And the answer is kind of limited because I don't know all the answer or the correct answer, but I do know it's very, very, very little. I mean, there may be, I want to say, a handful of people that do this for a full-time, we're not talking part-time, just full-time job. And it's tough. It's not one of those, you're looking at a niche, you know, in the in the photography industry that's really, really small compared to other things, say, like portrait photography, landscape photography, and things like that. So working towards being a full-time aviation photographer is not out of the question. So don't think I'm saying it is out of the question. It's just it's you're going up against it's um like it's going against one out of a million you know you may have a better chance of it in the lottery i don't know what the odds exactly are but either way i never want to discourage people from you know shooting towards their goals you just have to understand how big is the mountain that i'm about to start climbing before you start climbing it do i have all the gear and you know how much endurance do i have to do this um I've had contracts in the past. My contracts now have completely expired, so I'm literally just back to being a freelance photographer. Um, there's a, is a couple of things that I'm working on project-wise, but other than that, I mean, it's nice. You know, you get paid to do things that you love to do. I get, I, you know, got paid to take photos of you know, aircraft that I really enjoyed and hang out of a helicopter, which my mother did not enjoy, but she uh, always gets nervous uh, when I go up and I always make sure uh, to let her know I'm back on the ground. But anyways, the, um, you know, so it's good. It's a lot of fun to do. And I really, you know, I really appreciate, you know, <laughs> being paid to do it, but it's not a, it's not a full-time job. Now, when we look at a full-time job, we look at 40 hours a week minimum, you know, you're making enough money to pay your rent and to pay your bills and expenses and then have some money on the side. And in all reality, with my experience, and I've talked to many others in the past and currently about this, and it's, there's really not a lot of wiggle room to be um, make it a full-time profession. I have my own business. Um, I, have, I sell my photos when I can. If people are interested, they buy them. If they're not, then they don't buy them and so on and so forth. You know, I set it up that way so I have a good solid foundation for when I do get contracts or I set up business proposals to different companies or airlines or clients. And I, you know, I go from there. But overall, it's not one of those professions that you're going to 100% get yourself into uh, right away. I mean, even my small contracts that I've had in the past have taken a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of coordination and a lot of business school. <laughs> so I always think about those things and it's kind of, you know, you'll, you'll get to where you want to be uh, at the end goal, you know, when you get there, it's, it's, there's no actual time frame. It's just over time, there's, you know, you'll, you'll find the, what you want to do um, pretty much. There's a couple photographers, for example, that I know have made it a full-time profession, or at least a somewhat full-time profession. Um, Moose Peterson wrote a really, really good book. That there's two books specifically. If you guys want to go out and look for these books, they're phenomenal. This is two books that I always go by when I'm doing photography. Moose Peterson wrote a book called Takeoff, and it's called The Alpha to Zulu 
of aviation photography. You can probably go on Amazon and pick it up, but he's a really, really good photographer. He was also a Nikon ambassador, I think an Alexar elite photographer as well. I mean, he's really, really good. So check out his book, Moose Peterson. He's got a couple different books. And the other one, and probably by far my most you know, go-to book, is called Inside Aviation Photography. This one's kind of a general sense book, but it's techniques for in the air and on the ground. Um, Chad Slatery is the uh, co-founder of the International Society for Aviation Photography, and he's you know it's you know it's really really interesting book. He talks about a lot of his different styles. He has different um, shots that he showcases in here and how he took them. You know what specs he was using and so on and so forth. And honestly, it's kind of like that you know fallback book. Like this is do I need what do I need to do and and how do I need to shoot this? Well, he always has great insight on pretty much anything. And I, once again, highly recommend it. It's called Inside Aviation Photography. Pretty sure, once again, you can get it on Amazon or some kind of bookseller website. But, um, I mean, he's been published in Air and Space, uh, the Smithsonian. I think it was Aviation Week, Space Technology, Flight Training. I think there was a business jet... Traveler, he did uh, executive controller, pro pilot, and so on and so on and so on. But I mean, his photos are amazing. I won't, you know, I won't. <laughs> I don't really know who else to uh, kind of like put in that same kind of um, tier level. But he's just he's really good. So check out both of those books um, if you can, and they really will teach you a lot if you sit down and read them and kind of just let them sink in. But for the most part, like I said, going back to the whole photography as a profession, you know, a lot of these guys, um, big accounts or well-known photographers that do aviation photography, they all have, you have to remember, they all have full-time jobs and or they're going to school full-time. And, you know, this aviation photography is just a side gig for them. So if they make a couple bucks out of it, then that's great. You know, it is what it is. But um, almost all of them, they don't do this full time. It's just it's nearly impossible to survive. Um, but just look into it some more, you know, research it. There was an interesting job opening about a year ago, I think. I think it was for Delta or no, I think it was for Boeing. And they were looking for an aviation videographer and photographer. But the, um, the requirements for the position were like, astronomically hard to like come by it, it was really crazy um how you had to what, what you had to meet these qualifications and uh, it was more like okay I, I can't you know i can't really deal with this but it, it, it's interesting so look into it some more for yourself like i said never give up on your goals that's the main thing always keep shooting for them i mean i, mean, I would personally love to do this full-time i look also at the um re I'm, I'm trying to remember the word of it right now, uh, but it's kind of like real life. Like, you know, what's the real life outcome of this? Well, you know, this is more of a second job and a hobby than anything else. Uh, it is nice getting paid. So, you know, look for those contracts. If someone approaches you and wants to take, you want you to take photos of their aircraft, you know, go for it. You know, take, do what you can. You know, the more people you know, the higher you'll go and the more people you'll get to meet and so on and so forth. But that's just kind of like my two cents on the matter. Um, I always said, 
you know, there's a lot to it, but that was kind of like an easy way to sum it up. But nevertheless, we're going to switch topics now. And even though this is a shorter podcast and I have to get the some, some shut-eye pretty soon because I'm currently tracking an aircraft, um, waiting to track an aircraft that's coming in near me that I it holds near and dear to my heart and I don't want to miss it. So I have to wake up early possibly and I will be going signing off here shortly. Um, and if all does go well on this um, chase of an aircraft, I will definitely share it in my next podcast. But for right now, we'll just keep our fingers crossed and go from there. And now we'll switch right over to your questions and answers. All right, so this week we have a bunch of different questions. I'm going to try to run through them as best I can. But we'll start off with uh, KBDL Aviation. Uh, Assuming you spot out of Bradley, but we'll just go from there. Um, What camera and lens do you use? So I'm specifically geared towards Sony and Nikon. Um, I have two main, excuse me, two major main bodies. Man, I can't speak this evening. Um, the Sony A7 IV and the Sony A7 R4. Um, I also use a 200 to 600 millimeter lens. That's for the Sony as well. A um, 55 millimeter, 55 millimeter for those close-up shots, and it's the 1.8. And it's probably my favorite lens. It's just so sharp. It's unbelievable. Um, probably the sharpest lens I have. And then there's the, I think, um, the 25, uh, excuse me, 24 to 100 as well for the Sony. And then on for the Nikon side of things, I use a Nikon Z6 II and a Tamron 150 to 600 millimeter. I've been really sticking closer to the Sony aspect of things because recently the Tamron lenses have not been nice to me and I'm I haven't been a fan. I have a slight issue with one, and it's just kind of nagging me. So I kind of just stuck with the, been sticking to the Sony aspect of things. I personally think Sony is sharper, and you know, we can talk about the color um, differences between Canon and Sony. And I personally think the color over on Canon side is a little bit brighter and more natural, and you know, more robust looking. But at the same time, I think you really can't get any sharper. Then Sony, um, I could be wrong. I mean, if anyone wants to compare a Sony A1 to any other camera, go for it. It's one of those, you know, top of the level, top level cameras. But um, that's just what I shoot with, though. Uh, the Global Spotter uh, asks, what ways to make your portfolio stand out and look the best it can? Great question. The easiest way to answer this is be consistent. So what I mean by be, being consistent is if, if you want, if you have a certain style of photography that you do, whether it's close-ups or so on and so forth, you know, stick with it. If you take and post a photo, say on Instagram, Jet Photos or wherever, well, we'll, we'll we're not going to bring Jet Photos into it. We'll just say Instagram. If you post photos on Instagram that are extremely bright, you know, they're, they're nice, they're eye-catching uh, one day, and we'll say we'll, you'll do that for a couple days, and then you'll just drop kind of like an overcast, cloudy photo, and it's an okay photo, but it doesn't look like your other photos. That is when the inconsistency will kill you. You you want to be as consistent as possible with your photography. So if you know something that you really enjoy or a certain style that you really enjoy, stick with it, and then you know the followers and likes and so on and so forth will come on down the road. But that's one way to do it. Uh, not the captain. One hundred and two asks plane spotting pet peeves. 
Um, I actually didn't have time to think about this one. Um, plane spotting pet peeves. I don't know. There's a lot. I think I have a lot of them. Uh, 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 people talking to me when I'm trying to take a photo. Um, I go, that's going to um, Massport, any Massport employee that comes around. When I'm in the middle of taking a shot at Boston and they ask me for my permit, you guys can wait until the plane goes by, then I will give you my permit. Just be patient. This is the reason I'm up here. That is not a rant on Massport, and I will stop right there. So, uh, plane spotting pet peeves. Yeah, that's that's definitely, you know, that's, that's definitely one of them. Um, other pet peeves, man, clouds. I can't stand overcast days. Don't do it. Um, it's just not for me. I... I just don't like it. I like sunny days. A little bit of clouds is fine. Um, anything more than 35% cloud coverage for me is a no-go. I don't like it. I won't go out and spot in it because it's, once again, going back to the other question, I'm very consistent on my quality of my photos, and I'd like to leave it as that. All right. Ryan says, baseball so far, favorite to win the World Series. Uh, well, honestly... It's, I don't really know because I haven't really been following baseball lately. I I used to follow it a lot, but I just don't have the time anymore. I, I do keep tabs on the Red Sox, but this year they were a good 50-50 team. You didn't know what you are going to get what day, so I honestly haven't really been paying attention. Sorry about that. Uh, let's see. Wow. Oh, <laughs> this is a good one. ZS Aviation. Um asks why don't you go for your sports pilot's license um i don't know if you're asking me personally but i will say two things one i don't have time um i just don't have time to get my own license it's just it's i mean i guess i could sign up and like do a few flights here and there and so on and so forth but nevertheless i i just i personally don't have have time i will say this though because just my based off of my knowledge and there's two guys in Portsmouth that can completely will 100% agree with me, and if they don't, then I might have misheard them one time. The difference between going so when you go for your PPL, um, there you can go either sports pilots or you can you can do your regular PPL. And the idea of is it's nice to have like a sports pilot license, but at the same time, um, it's kind of like. <laughs> You know, I just just I got a message on my phone and it was actually some bad news, but um, for us, you know, av geeks everywhere. A anyways, we'll go over that in a little bit later. But um, yeah, sports pilot license. You can only fly VFR. I think you have to have completely clear skies and conditions. You can't go into Charlie airspaces and you can't fly at night. Um, whereas PPL, you can do pretty much uh, the same thing anyone else can do. Uh, so there are some differences here, here and there, but uh, anyways, that's pretty much all the questions and answers. I I did just get a message saying that there was a possibility that the aircraft that I wanted to see tomorrow, and I've been waiting years to see, is canceled. Now the source is very not the most reliable, so we're just gonna roll with, uh, you know, hoping it still comes. I will, fingers crossed. But anyways, this is wraps up another episode of Skies and Beyond Radio. On I will leave you with this, and then tomorrow, that is going to be the 12th, I will throw up a Q&A or and a question. You can put it in the box on my Instagram story. I will ask this one question. It's kind of like an aviation trivia uh, history related. Everyone knows Air Force One. 
everyone knows that you know it always carries the president there was one time and here's the question you can answer on my instagram page on my story when it goes up it'll go up tonight after the podcast but when was there was so air force one everyone said everyone knows but the question is what year did air force one take off but never land and that's the question for the day what year did air force one take off but actually never land so thanks again for tuning in i hope you guys have a great week and we'll check with you next week Vancouver 1337, uh, Air Canada 24. 3037, Canadian uh, 986. And do you want us to go direct out right now or just uh, on that heading? Okay. 337, see ya.